Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So today's interview begins a series of interviews that I'm going to be doing, hopefully about 10 actually, with uh, Canadian filmmakers, uh, filmmakers from around the globe, actually. I've been giving uh, press access to TIFF this year, and I'm not only excited about that, but I think it's going to provide for some pretty interesting uh, viewing, listening, uh, interesting listening uh, for people, Not clearly not enough caffeine yet today. So our first uh, interview uh, is with Michelle Shepard and uh, Patrick Reed, filmmakers and a journalist, uh, and uh, we're talking about their film, uh, Guantanamo's Child, and it's a story about Omar Khadr, we're going to talk about human rights and we're going to talk about uh, why this is an important story for Canadians and why it's an important story for for uh, moving forward and for uh, just the whole idea of hmm, a care and concern for the other. So buckle up, listen in. This is interview one and the world premiere is uh, happening in a couple of days. Michelle Shepard and Patrick Reed, I think you're going to enjoy this interview a great deal. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and we are very excited about uh, two guests that we have online today with us. Uh, uh, Patrick Reed, who's a documentary producer and filmmaker, uh, Michelle Shepard, a Canadian journalist and co-director of a soon-to-be TIFF-released film, Guantanamo's Child. Thanks, uh, Patrick, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us, David. Yeah, so I watched the film uh, a few nights ago and have to say, um, to say that it's a compelling story is an understatement. What, what was it that, I mean, t- it seems like a kind of a trite question on some level, I suppose, but what drew you, would you say, to the story uh, uh, of Omar Khadr? And do you think you started to feel that intention shift as the movie unfolded, as the story, as his story unfolded around you? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a story that uh, I started covering in 2002 when he was first captured. And I'm glad you found it compelling because that, that's always been my take on it, that it's been this, this compelling story about a 15-year-old Canadian, but it also uh, represents 
so many other stories and so many other issues that we faced in a post-9-11 world. Uh, so for, for almost 12 years now, um, I've been watching all the different uh, phases of this story, watch him literally grow up uh, in Guantanamo, go from a 15-year-old uh, to what he will be in a couple weeks mm-hmm. now, a uh, 29-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was you know, lucky enough uh, about two and a half years ago to, be, uh, to meet up with Patrick, um, who has, who's an experienced filmmaker, has done um, films, a variety of films, um, and some that touch on the issue of child soldiers, and we just sort of had the same vision of how we mm. wanted to get the documentary out. Um, and, and here we are. Pat, Patrick, so you clearly, based, you know, uh, shake hands with the devil, fight like soldiers, die like children. You clearly were not just the director on this film. You, were, you, you bought in on another level, did you not? Um, I did. I mean, I, I've been interested in a number of international issues. I haven't followed this particular story uh, nearly as in-depth as Michelle, obviously. I came on about two, two and a half years ago. Um, but, you know, but the thing that always compels me about about stories like this one, uh, or in particular about this one, is that people seem to have very kind of strong opinions about an issue, and in this case about a person, that, uh, you know, up to the point of our film, they've, you know, nobody's really had a chance to hear what that person actually has to say and see them on camera and then kind of make that judgment for yourself. So, I mean, my, my starting point or my interest in, in this project in particular was not necessarily as, as an activist filmmaker, but mm. just as a filmmaker that's interested in very kind of complex stories and a very kind of complicated character and an opportunity to, through making the film, uh, you know, not to give simple answers, uh, mm-hmm. but to add even possibly more complexity to to a difficult story and a difficult individual. Well, you know, on some level, when the when the film ended and watched the credits, I di- I don't know that I felt, wow, I'm I'm clear now. Right. You know, <laughs> and and I, and I, and that's not an accusation by any means because I think right. a great film has to raise more questions. I think so. It may you know it may resolve some issues, but it's got to raise some other things. Whether it's you know about Canadian law or whether it's international law or human rights or whatever it is. I mean, these are all sort of directly linked to what you guys are doing, but. But, um, I mean, I've got, I've got so many questions and I, I, I think, you know, what you said, uh, Patrick, about how, how Omar hasn't had a chance to speak. One of the things that I took away was this, this young man, I was going to say kid, he's no longer a kid, uh, has a wisdom about him that seemed mm-hmm. to come through the screen. Um, and, and I don't know if that was because of masterful editing, uh, but, but I don't think so. There's a, there's a humanness, there's a wisdom, there's, there seems to be an intuitive truth. And I, and I actually don't know where I really stand on the issue. Well, it's interesting you say that because we, um, for, for years, and when we were doing the interviews before we actually interviewed him, the people we talked to, they would say, they would say that exact thing about him. Right. That there was this serenity, there was yep. um, this wisdom. And it's remarkable to think that someone could have that when half their life has been in jail. Uh, before that, they grew up in the Cotter family, yes. <laughs> which was, you know, an incredibly, uh, an incredible upbringing. And and then half the time that you were in jail, you were in, you know, Guantanamo and, and Bagram and some of the most notorious prisons. So we had heard that from so many people who knew him, but being, of course, you know, cynical journalists and filmmakers, um, we, 
we weren't sure what to mm-hmm. believe. So to actually be able to spend time with him and to have that come out, and I mean, that was our impression too, that he was, um, I don't know if well-adjusted is the mm-hmm. right, yeah. the right, probably not the right description, because I think when we saw him, it was just his first few days of freedom, and, and I think, you know, he'll have a lot of a lot to go through over the next year or two. Michelle, I I wrote down a couple statements he made. I'm a better man than he thinks I am. I wasn't thinking much about the morality of what I was doing. Um, I didn't hope or despair. Love is a strong word. I mean, these are are crazy statements from a guy who's just spent, like you say, 13 years in one of the most notorious prisons in the world. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's, when you say it was masterful editing, I mean, it wasn't really. That was what, what... what you saw in the yeah. film, what we saw too over that time, um, and he did have a lot of profound things to say. Yeah, pa- Patrick, did, just to did, yeah, go. quickly take a yeah, follow up on that. I mean, I, there's, I, there's always issues about like as an outsider, how can you how can you connect with somebody, particularly somebody who comes from a different kind of culture or background? And there's so many different things about Omar's life and upbringing and time in prison that you know, as a filmmaker in Toronto, it, it does. Yeah, there, and and for an audience, there is a bit of a leap that it needs needs to happen, and the the whole thing about the wisdom and maturity, and that definitely is there, and that's definitely who he is. Um, and part of it is partially, you know, I think it's survival mechanism. Yeah, either sure. Kind of come out of a situation like that completely embittered or broken, or you know, you have a degree of serenity, and the, you know, you sound more like a kind of philosopher than, a, yeah. than an ex-inmate. And I think that's definitely who he is and who he is right now. For me as a filmmaker, or not even as a filmmaker, as a person, that was that was the thing that struck me the most, but also the hardest thing to wrap my head around. You know, you're always trying to put yourself in somebody's shoes. I think if I was in his position and I came out, I'd be, I would be better. I'd be <laughs> right. um, probably yeah. more radical than when I went in. Um, but uh, it's, it's who he is, and uh, that's kind of where he is right now. And, you know, as, as also is indicated in the film, and he even mentions it on camera, that uh, it's also a way of protecting himself. And, yeah. you know, at some stage he hopes to be able to kind of let his guard down and, you know, really kind of allow himself to grieve or feel right. rage or whatever for the things that happened to him in the, the years that he lost. Yeah, I just, well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to, just one last point, yeah, please. That, David, that, you know, I think what the three of us have been saying is that we, we do see that wisdom and we're sort of impressed by his serenity. I think other film goers might think it's an act. And, oh, I, and I think yeah. that, you know, yeah. he, yeah, for sure. he said that himself in, um, in the film, you know, I'm worried that I sound so, um, so not bitter that people won't believe it. And and people, you know, I think people will come. Some people will come away with that, and and that's okay too. I mean, we we had we did not want to go into making this film as uh, as as activists. You know, we really wanted to lay it out there, and that's why I think we had so many different characters and different voices. And I, I think um, probably the majority of people will come out with a fairly uh, sympathetic view of him, what happened, and be impressed. But I, but I think there are others others that will think. Well, you know, this is how the world changed after 9/11. This is a sad yeah. consequence, and I don't quite believe what he's saying. I think he's hiding it, you know. Yeah. And 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 actually, that's okay because just to have a debate about this case, an enlightened debate where people are actually talking about the issues rather than <laughs> shouting about them yeah. uh, with ill-informed views, which has been how the case has been handled for many, many years. Um, you know, I 
we succeeded if we gave people something to think about and and talk about. Well, I think you've certainly at least done that. <laughs> That's for sure. And if and, and and if there isn't, uh, you know, measured dialogue as a result of this film, I'll I'll be pretty pissed off. How's that? Um, um, Wonderful. Yeah, exactly. You know, I um, was it Mozambique? Is that his name? Uh, former yeah. de- de- detainee. I mean, here's. I mean, beautiful quote. I'm sure you remember it. Um, it's your film. Uh, quote: The most tranquil I would see him was when he was reading the Quran. I never saw him complain. You know, how does a guy hold on to his humanity in such an inhumane place? You know, and I, I, uh, I, I just kind of marvel at that. And I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of those kinds of insights in your film that. For me, as a philosopher, because uh, that's my background academically, I go, well, that raises other questions, right? What did he, yeah. what, what did he go in with? You know, what was, what was his emotional you know, foundation or his spiritual foundation or whatever you want to call it that he took with him into the cell? Um, well, the, one, one thing that interests me also about that, that quote and where you find strength and the, the few tools you have in a very difficult place, and in his case, it was further, you know, embracing his faith and... Uh, yep. You know, but at the, the twisted way of looking at it is some people would use that against some of the detainees and including against Omar Cotter and saying, like, this is a sign that they're becoming increasingly radicalized. He's in there and he's learned, you know, he's, he's memorized the Koran, which for a certain person's perspective is not a good thing, but that's a sign that, oh, this guy's become a hardcore jihad. Right, right. Which, again, is such an interesting way of kind of twisting something that is a, you know, a very legitimate religion and point of strength for so many people and the same person that's probably writing that you know review of him would never say the same thing that oh the person has learned how the entire torah or the person has memorized scriptural passages in the bible but this is somehow evidence of uh, radicalization so it's i i yeah i agree with you that the the bag line is um is, is very telling but uh you know it's also how people some people might react to that in a way that, oh, there's something wrong about this guy. Yeah, oh, for uh, sure. You know? For sure. He's, he's embracing religion even more. Well, he's, yeah, he's just, he's a right-wing fundamentalist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think, do you guys think coming out of this film, um, and you must have been pretty immersed in the research and, and uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the news of the day, and Michelle, sounds like you've been, you've been kind of swimming in it for years. Do you think political uh, agenda, do you think ideology informs the way we make sort of, you know, uh, our judgments about these kinds of things? So he says, I wasn't thinking much about the morality of what I was doing. And I think that's a fair statement, right? You're in the middle of a gunfight and mm-hmm. maybe you toss a grenade, maybe you don't. And, um, but I wonder to what degree, you know, the, con- you know, are we just, are we just preaching to the converted? I guess is the question in a sense. Well, I think that, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you don't have it. Okay, I think that that particular line, I wasn't thinking much about the morality. I mean, he was talking about his father kind of handing him off and Mm -hmm. working as a translator with these guys who were affiliated with Al-Qaeda or whatever. Anyway, shadowy characters that were not by any stretch doing good things. And I actually, you know, to me, that line is a very very kind of honest line. And Mm -hmm. if I was his lawyer advising him, I would definitely say, don't say something like that <laughs> on camera. Right. But I think, right. it's a, I think it's a very, you know, to me, as, again, not coming from that background or tradition, I immediately think of the times when I was 
at that age, 14 or 15, and a number of things that were probably really stupid or I was going along with something that an adult told me to do. And I shouldn't have done, but again, I wasn't, if I'm being honest, I wasn't remotely thinking about the morality or anything. It was just, oh, I'm in the moment and this is kind mm-hmm. of unfolding. And I think, again, some people will look at that uh, uh, part of the film as some of the most damning stuff because he's talking specifically about building, you know, IEDs and yeah. uh, that, and then you see footage of him going out and kind of joking around and, yep. and yep. putting them in the ground with these adults. And, you know, it's just like uh, he's having a bit of fun. Yeah. And again, I, I think that to say that I wasn't thinking about the morality, eh, it's, it's so honest that I don't think it's actually trying to, uh, you know, metaphorically get yourself out of jail. It's a, right. it's a pretty damning statement, but I think it's a very honest statement that if people look closely at their own lives, they should be able to see you know, comparison. Well, I think, and Michelle, I'm sure you want to say something, but just that the whole paradox of it, right? The contradiction of who we are, I think, as human beings. That's another thing that I take. I mean, we're just a bundle of contradictions, right? Paradox yeah. and complexity. And, you know, it's so easy to stand on one side of a fence and go, you know, and point the finger. And I think, you know, you, you know, Michelle, to your point about dialogue and, and, and actually having a conversation about this, that's where I think things are going to change. That's where we're going to see movement forward from a human rights perspective and so on. But but uh, what's what's your sense about that, Michelle? The the the. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's why the 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 story is, you know, something that can sustain so many years. Looking at it and and the investment we made in the doc, because there are so many layers. There's so many questions, yep. you know, to to what you were saying about morality, to what Patrick was saying about really that's a product of of his age at that time, um, and you know the the larger issue of of what transpired in, in Afghanistan was, you know, it was a war zone. And so his case forced us to rethink the way the laws of war are. Mm-hmm. Here's a 15-year-old. And, you know, one of his lawyers uh, sort of explained it to me very succinctly once and said, you know, there's di- the reason we have different laws of war and different laws that govern the way children behave in war is because, you know, a 15-year-old should know not going into a mall and throwing a hand grenade is a bad thing to do. Right, right. <laughs> but when you're in war, it's okay to kill. Everybody's killing. So to expect uh, a child or a 15-year-old to be put in that situation and understand when it's okay to kill is, is why we have these different laws. So I think, you know, just issues like that, the age, the way the laws change, um, all those issues were dealt with very um with much emotion after Mm -hmm. 9-11. And so people, I think, sort of reason people um, would not have the type of measured debates you think they would because it was sort of driven by by emotions. I can't, I, I can't help but, uh, you know, Dennis Edney, the lawyers, uh, <laughs> Omar's lawyer, who, 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 um, who commented that uh, right, I think right out of the gate early in the film, he said something about how he needed to be released. And then later in the film, he talked about being nauseated by his stories of hope. And, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, there's a connection here to what we've just been talking about around Omar, because this sense, what it seems to be this, this centeredness, if I can use a, that kind of awkward phrase or word, um, about him, that doesn't seem to come from a place of fear. It seems to come from a place of hope. So I found it kind of ironic coming from his lawyer, who's been, talk about, I mean, just hammering away at it for so many years. The guy de- deserves an like award on some level. I mean, all the lawyers that, that have dealt over the years with uh, Guantanamo detainees are so impressive because um, for those who have 
um, especially those who have been cleared for release and still remain there today, uh, because they're the ones that are the closest to detainees. So you, you keep going down there and you keep telling these guys, I know that, you know, the Pentagon has cleared you. I know that the CIA has cleared you and you shouldn't be here, but you're still here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really quite Kafka. And when you're a lawyer, I think you look to the courts, you look to the law, um, you look to society, and and they've just been trapped in a way that they can't get their clients out. And I think, you know, for Dennis and, and the other lawyers that continue to do that, that just gets incredibly, incredibly depressing after the year, you know, year after year to go down there and tell someone just hold out hope when, you know, you don't really have it yourself. So I think that's what he was speaking to. But Dennis is a real character. I mean, to, Oh, he, he strikes to, me as one, yeah. Yeah, and to be able to, um, you know, Dennis and his uh, wife, Patricia, Patricia, having taken Omar in, um, you know, as part of his bail condition and make him a part of your family. I mean, you don't have many lawyers that would do that. Um, so he's, uh, as you know, a big part of the film and, uh, and just a larger than life character for sure. What, what, uh, uh, and question for both of you, um, Patrick, what, what sort of bubbled to the surface for you that you weren't expecting as you, you guys went through this journey? Um, you know, I, I think the one thing that really, really struck me throughout is something that Michelle mentioned a bit earlier is, you know, we, we worked in, on this process kind of in reverse. So we kind of, the last thing we did was actually spend time with our main character. And so we started by talking to, you know, everybody else. And mm-hmm. by the, the, the rule for us was we really didn't want to engage with experts, uh, or activists or opponents or, um, and we didn't really want to kind of deal with uh, politicians necessarily. We, we really wanted to focus on people who had direct contact with right. Omar. So whether it was his family or then on the exact opposite side, you know, some of the Americans, the interrogators, the special forces guys, people who have very, very, you know, distinct and different and strong opinions about what happened at various stages and who Omar is and how Omar changed their lives. And it's the last point that really struck me is the fact that regardless of people's opinion about Omar, he, their, their intersection with him at, at various moments uh, changed, changed their lives. Mm. So for us, it, he was a, you know, he's a, a transformational character, right. um, which is pretty, which is pretty unique. And that was kind of across the board. And that was something that, going into it that wasn't kind of our criteria about who we were going to talk to but that that seemed to be one thing that that kept coming out from again whether it was the former kind of detainees or the interrogator or the special forces guys or the lawyer it was you know they met this kid and it changed them and it changed how they saw the world and it changed how they saw you know the so-called war on terror and it uh, affected you know, how they looked at themselves and the role they were playing in it. And in many cases, it uh, changed their lives dramatically, and they went in a totally different direction. So that's, that's definitely the thing that struck me the most. Yeah. Oh, I would, I'd agree absolutely with that. And, um, I mean, I guess just from a, a logistics standpoint, this shouldn't have surprised me because uh, everything about Guantanamo cases seems to be this way, but the difficulty we had in in actually interviewing him, um, you know, I think uh, poor Patrick had been told this would be the quickest <laughs> documentary he'd turn around, and it, you know, dragged on for two and a half years hmm. because um, once he got back to Canada, I mean, we'd been blocked, of course, 
from talking to him in, in Guantanamo. Sure. Uh, the Pentagon has, you know, ridiculous ground rules when it comes to reporting there. Uh, but then when he came back in Canada, the assumption would be uh, we'd apply and, and he would have that right and we would have the right to interview him. And, and it was, you know, this ridiculous two-year dance, which included us going to the federal court and launching a, you know, a judicial review on constitutional grounds, arguing that you're know, breaching the public's right to know. Uh, we actually ended up losing that. Wow. And then he was you know, thankfully released on bail. Um, so it was, it was quite a different film than we had envisioned doing because we thought we would be doing the interviews in, a, in jail. But just the, you know, the, the pushback we got, it, it really is quite laughable, um, the back and forth, because we were dogged. And um, you know, there was clearly some type of political interference mm-hmm. that they just did not want him to be interviewed because the reasons that we received um, included, you know, a security risk that they would have to shut down the entire facility <laughs> and able to have us to come in. Oh, come on. Um, yeah. and, and then the other reason, which was also quite rich, was that it was uh, for his own protection um, because it would increase his notoriety. Uh, so this was being said at the same time when the, the prime minister and the um, uh, safety, public safety minister were making comments about him while his case is before the courts, which is so, so unusual in itself. So, you know, it was really, but it was frustrating. I mean, we, we, we fought and fought and we, and we couldn't get access. So, you know, if he had not received bail uh, and he were still in uh, detention, which, you know, his sentence is still, is still going. Sure. We wouldn't have had this film made yet. And, you know, I think, I actually think Canadians should be offended by that because that, um, you know, it's their right to, to hear from him. And it was his right to talk. I think, I think, th- I mean, that to me is a whole sort of other interview, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> let's get a group of lawyers together and, and chat about that point alone. And I mean, I think what I love about the work that I do, social change and international development and so on, is that, you know, I mean, my project is little things make a big difference, right? Splash and ripple effect. And you, and you watch one film like this. And if, if you go to it with an, uh, with an open structure, I suppose is a good way to say it, I, I guess, and say, I'm open to, to being like Socratic method, right? I'm open to being wrong here. And, and if something does reveal itself, it's on, wow, holy cow, I had no idea. And, 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 and don't I need to go a little deeper? And I, I want to ask you, okay, so, so one of the interrogators, Patrick, you talked about, them, mm-hmm. did he actually become a torturer because he was basically drinking too much one night? Is that <laughs> what I heard? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. I actually laughed out loud. Yeah, he was, he was put on the interrogation team at Bagram. Um, because, because he was misbehaving. Yeah. yeah, basically said he, he went out and got loaded one night and then found himself on this this team. Um, and, and, you know, Damon Corsetti is uh, is quite symbolic of many of the interrogators, yeah. both in, in Bagram and Guantanamo. You know, and that was a large part of the problem, that they were essentially these kids yeah. that were, were not trained. You had hundreds of detainees. I mean, the U.S. had never had... You know, an, an issue like this before when you needed so many detainees to be questioned. And so they basically throw through these kids uh, who were still, you know, quite understandably uh, horrified by 9 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're told that these detainees were responsible for that. Um, you know, there others who um, were part of their unit are dying on, you know, the battlefield in Afghanistan and eventually Iraq. And I'm not excusing what mm-hmm. happened, but, um, you know, it was a very top-down message. I mean, well, that, it's under, a little more understandable, too, in the context, I suppose. 
Well, and, and Corsetti, as you see in the film, I mean, he, it was actually meeting Omar that, mm-hmm. that made him, he wasn't Omar's interrogator, he interrogated others. Yep. Um, and it was meeting him in Bagram where he thought, you know, why is my country doing this to a 15-year-old? And it made him question everything. And, and he suffers to this day. I mean, he has tremendous, um, you know, post-traumatic stress and depression from, from what he did. Um, and, and, and it was meeting Omar that made him change his mind. Well, I, and just to follow up yeah. quickly, the, the, the thing that strikes me, again, about all the, the, the few interrogators, Damien, obviously, is the one uh, we got to know, or I got to know through the film, is, again, most of these guys were privates. Most of these guys had never left America before, are thrown right. into these situations. And what Damien always talks about, because, you know, he was thrown under the bus, basically, when he came back to the States. He was up on charges. He, you know, somebody had to have all this bad stuff pinned on for excessive abuse and everything and so you know they find him and a couple other privates and that's good and what he doesn't what's not in the film but he talks about in the interview and elsewhere is there's these interrogation rooms going on and you know one room over you have your high level guys including you know u.s military lawyers who are there who are supposed to give you moral cover so you walk out of the room and then you're told to go back in and you can go twice as hard and you're legally within the limits, and this is, you know, what you're doing is technically not torture, and it becomes all these weird mm-hmm. kind of semantic discussions about how far you can go and uh, playing on your sense of kind of moral outrage. And then at the end of it all, these are the guys who are kind of doing somebody else's bidding, and then, right. you know, if they do have a conscience or rediscover their conscience, they're kind of scarred for the rest of their lives, and, you know. He's the king of torture and all these other things, but uh, he's the one guy that kind of found his humanity there. I think I think on some level, I don't know, maybe this is a question for you, Michelle, but on some level, to me, it just screams how unprepared um, they, and fill in the blank, whoever you want to call they, U.S., was to take on such you know, a war is this, uh, or an, uh, you know, and I, I, now, now, now I'm going, okay, there is a guy who should have been thinking about the morality of what he was doing and clearly ultimately did. Right. Right. And and that interested me a great deal. What was the shift? And it was meeting Omar, right? His humanity. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it is really easy to, um, look back, you know, with hindsight and and wag your finger at, at people like Corsetti. Um, but yeah, if you bring yourself back to that time, I mean, I covered 9-11 in New York and, you know, I still have the <laughs> roll of t- toilet paper that says wipe out terrorism and it's got little wow. you know, pictures of bin Laden on yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. each square. I mean, there was a, there was real, there was a, a call for revenge. And yep. so it was really within that climate that, uh, you know, Bagram and Guantanamo were created. And, you know, the other problem was that these prisons weren't, uh, Guantanamo wasn't created as, as, a, as a prison and a place to try people. I mean, it was an intelligence gathering right. area, basically. They needed to house these people somewhere. And, and absolutely unprepared. And as Patrick said, you know, these, these young privates coming in and, and thinking that they're getting the, the go-ahead, in fact, pushed to, um, you know, push the limits. And, um, and then you get the mess that you know we're in today, still in today, really, and all that happened uh, in the years between then and now. I 
you know, we, we've got to wrap it up where I do. I want to be sensitive to your time and, and uh, got so many other questions. So, I mean, you know, uh, just to circle back, Michelle, it, it, to me, I, I, yeah, you guys have certainly, uh, uh, you certainly met all the requirements as far as I'm concerned for, for conversation and dialogue going forward. I hope, <laughs> I hope we can maybe do a part two, but okay. So let me go uh, high, high level and sound maybe a little too um, lofty, I suppose, with this question. But honestly, uh, a sincere question, um, hmm. what do you learn about um, injustice? Uh, I mean, isn't the notion of a just war just utterly insane? You know, uh, Crusetti says, uh, you know, there's, it, it, doesn't, it amazes me what we do to other human beings, I think, was his line. I'm just trying to recall after he showed the, the, you showed the photo of them strapping bodies in the plane. And, I mean... How do we even talk about it when we're when we're we're committing that kind of stuff? I guess you could say um, uh, is is it academic? Is it is it is it meant for the church? Is it meant for the Rotary Club? That's where we talk about these things, you know. <laughs> I mean, how, you know. So clearly, you guys will instill dialogue. There's no question. But is it just going to be right. at the Q and A at TIFF? Is it going to be in a few film classes going forward? You know, how do we get people to think about the morality about what they're doing? You know? Yeah. Anyway, there's about 32 and yeah. a half questions in there, just so you know. No, no, it's a, I mean, obviously a huge question, but I, <laughs> but I mean, I do, but I do think sometimes this is, um, you know, how the arts can start these yeah. discussions, or how one one story can um, can open up a huge debate. I mean, we're looking at that right now, today and yesterday, the picture of the three-year-old that washed up on the shore mm. of uh, in Turkey about, you know, the crisis in Syria. Well, the crisis in Syria has been going on for four years, but that has opened up this massive political um, debate, this, this, you know, everything's going viral on, on um, social media, and, and maybe that'll bring about change. Um, so, you know, similarly, I think, uh, even though this is not any type of activist film, I think it'll raise a lot of questions, yeah. and, and hopefully... Um, these are questions that can be debated in the political sphere as well as, you know, the church basins, as you say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ge- but generally, uh, to the sort of first part of your question, I-, I do think what's unfortunate, and this is something, you know, I've seen in all my work over uh, since 9-11 in various different stories, is that, you know, when we're in a climate of fear, when mm. there is, when people are scared, they tend to not have the types of debates that, that we should, and they tend to sacrifice um, yeah. civil rights, things that, you know, in democracies we often hold dear, um, they tend to sacrifice those because they are scared. And, uh, you know, just in sweeping terms, I mean, I've always felt with national security, we often talk about national security issues and civil rights as, as separate issues, and I, I truly believe you can't have one without the other. And that's the way we have to start looking at it. Mm. Patrick? Uh, well, in, in terms of the larger question about how do you deal with or get people to wrap their head around injustice or, I mean, I, it's very micro for me. Like what, what I kind of focus on or what interests me related to the characters in the film is how somebody can go from being a true believer to actually being in the middle of something, seeing what it's like, and then kind of doubt and life creeps in and things become really kind of complicated. Hmm. And it's very, that at the end of the day for me is the, the, the simplest thing that I hope viewers take away from it. And as somebody making films and meeting people is the only thing, is the fundamental thing that interests me. It's, it's pretty easy to connect with somebody or to present somebody who's already started at a position of kind of 
higher moral consciousness sure. and you know the the world is uh, you know war is unjust and on and on and on but you know most people i know you know family members a lot of them would start with the position that yeah you know right after 911 they also would think yeah it's payback time let's do something and the characters that i know will connect most with them are people like the guy who was the chief prosecutor at Guantanamo who is there for a while and realizes that this entire process is, you know, he's the, the Mickey Mouse who has to go out and put the uniform on. Yeah. And he's, you know, still to this day, one of the most kind of hardcore right-wing guys on certain issues. He's, you know, total Southern uh, conservative on some levels, but totally progressive on others. And uh, same thing with Corsetti. I mean, to me, these are people that you can connect with and you can kind of see that there is the possibility for individual change once you actually live through something. And, uh, you know, it's one of those kind of, you know, your, the clarity of, of belief or conviction is quite easily challenged and, and shattered once you actually start, you know, getting out of your room and uh, putting down your book and start living life. So, right. um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of, I don't know. That's that, To me, that's, that gives me an element of hope to see sure. how a person can live through something and change, and sometimes change for the better or change for the worse. But there is that element of, of change um, once they actually see what's going on. And so hopefully people will also kind of at least open their minds a bit when they watch the film and, and connect with some of these characters who are all starting from different positions and often ending in different positions. Well, thank, thanks. You know, I, I, I hate to end the conversation. I really do. It just it, talk about peeling back the layers. But th- thanks so much for your time today. I hope maybe we've got opportunity for part two down the road. Patrick Reed, documentary producer and filmmaker, and Michelle Shepard, who's a Canadian journalist, author of uh, the book Guantanamo's Child, The Untold Story of Omar Cotter. They uh, talking today about their film, Guantanamo's Child, that's opening at the Toronto International Film Festival on September the 14th. Isabel Bader Theatre, I believe. That's right. right. 7.45. I hope you'll be there. Thanks a lot, you guys. I really, really appreciate uh, your time. Thanks, David. That was a great conversation. Thanks. Thank you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.